Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, legislative leaders respond to a rising call to address the struck-down initiative process and legalize medical marijuana. Then, how child tax credits could help Mississippi families. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the Legislative Peer Committee assesses the state park system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Legislators and state officials are answering a rising public call to address the fallout of last week's Mississippi Supreme Court decision. In a 6-3 ruling, the court invalidated Initiative 65, the constitutional amendment legalizing medical marijuana, and with it, the entire citizen initiative process. Governor Tate Reeves says he may call a special session of the legislature to address the issues. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman thinks lawmakers should prioritize the medical marijuana program, noting it would take until 2022 before amending the initiative process. One, we, we need, we've got until November of 2022 to take care of. So I don't know that we really need a special session for the initiative. If the governor feels like we need one for the initiative so we can start a little earlier, I'm for that. That would be fine. Uh, he gets to pick. Uh, the second, on medical marijuana, I'd like to get that started. Um, you know, we have kids, you know, people that are sick and, and that have needs for this. It's medical marijuana. So there are people that have needs for this, and we need to be cognizant of that. Uh, you know, obviously, had they listened to the Senate the first time, we wouldn't be talking today. We'd have medical marijuana, but we, they didn't, and so we need to proceed. So I, I think um, a special session in regards to that may well be warranted into that issue because of the health risk of our citizens. Hoseman has been quick to act on preparing for a special session to take up the mantle of medical marijuana. He says he has already talked to leading officials who began development of the program under Initiative 65. I did uh, meet right away Monday morning with, uh, with Dr. Dobbs 
and uh, he has offered to us his research on writing the regulations so that we can put those into the statutory scheme and come back to him with something that he could work with. Uh, anticipate getting some more information. I've gotten a little information from him already. I expect to get some more information from him very shortly. Uh, we'll send that to our leadership team, which includes, of course, uh, Senator Blackwell did the, uh, he's out of the country right now. Uh, he did the medical marijuana bill for us. So as soon as he returns, we'll want to meet with our legislative leaders. And uh, hopefully we'll have time to, to do that in an organized fashion. Uh, you know, the immediacy of things, I think, require us to act uh, in an organized fashion and not show up in the morning. I saw some press release, so we just show up in the morning and change one word. Well, Bobby's laughing because, you know, it takes at least two days for a special session and oftentimes three or four, and you don't just show up and change where you've got committee hearings, you've got all that other kind of stuff. So we need to take the organized, clear, co common sense approach. And the problem, hold on one second. The problem with common sense is it's not as common as it needs to be. So everybody needs to stay calm, considered approach, and we'll get through all the rest of this. I strongly favor the initiative process. We need that, and we, and we need to address medical marijuana because of the health reasons. House Speaker Philip Gunn has also said he support, or excuse me, Hoseman, who previously served as Secretary of State, also expresses reverence for the citizen initiative process. He says he understands why residents have been vocal in their response to the Supreme Court decision. I, I'm glad they are. I'm fired up about it. I like the initiative process. For those of you who weren't here when I conducted the three other ones, which were on right to life, eminent domain, voter ID, those are tremendous assets. People, we would go start at 5 in the afternoon, and it would go until 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. I had every single person that came that wanted to speak spoke. And that is a tremendous asset that we have in our republic, and we need to have it back. So sooner is better than me. Obviously, they can't go. I don't think they can go on the election ballot until November 2022. That's what the speaker said. House Speaker Philip Gunn has also said he supports a special session. House Constitution Committee Chair Fred Shanks spoke with our Kobe Vance. Shanks, who says he was surprised by the Supreme Court decision, is also in favor of using a special session to address medical marijuana and the initiative process. I'm in favor of going ahead and having a special session and, and just getting it knocked out and, and moving forward. And I think most of my colleagues and the Speaker of the House are all the, in, in the same mindset just to get on it and let, let's get it done. Uh, to you, could you explain your, uh, what you see as the importance of having the ballot initiative process? Uh, well, it, it just, you know, it, it allows the, uh, the public to, you know, any idea that they have that they want to put on an initiative, it allows them to, you know, to, to do so. So, and, and clearly this would cut down on, the, obviously, the confusion of the past processes. If, we, if Mississippi doesn't have a special session, do you see this being a big point that would need to be addressed in the upcoming 2022 session? Oh, I do. It, if for some reason the governor did not call a special session, I would think we would take it up immediately in January. And now there have been several efforts over the years, over the past 10 years especially, to address this uh, ballot initiative issue when it comes to the, the number of districts. Why do you think this has not become uh, an important issue up until this point? I, well... I've not been in the legislature just a decade or anything, but I just think it wasn't really brought up as a big deal until until the medical marijuana issue hit. Because I'd never, you know, in, in my past experiences, I'd never really heard about it being an issue. 
so until now. Do you think having a, a special session um, this summer could prevent, you know, mudding the waters for other things that need to be passed during the regular legislative session? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would just be one, one thing to get checked off the list so we could focus on, you know, the state's business. So, sure, I mean, I, I think it would it would help clear some things up. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't have to wait, you know, uh, till January to do it. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you talking with us today. Yeah, yeah. If a special session is called, there is still uncertainty as to whether it will also be used to confirm a number of governor-appointed board seats. Governor Tate Reeves is nominating nine people to serve on three boards that make decisions about public education from kindergarten through college. The nominations are for the Board of Education, the Community College Board, and the Board for the Institutions of Higher Learning. The nominations come after some positions were vacated due to expired terms, a situation that means board Boards could be unable to conduct business if a quorum was not met. Six of the nominees are white men, two are white women, and one is a black woman. Coming up, how child tax credits could help Mississippi families. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Working families with children in Mississippi could soon see additional money in their bank accounts as part of the recently passed American Rescue Plan. Prior to the sweeping federal relief package, families eligible for the child tax credit had to wait until they filed their income tax to claim child credits. But now the law allows half of the money to be paid in monthly installments. Eligible families will receive a payment of up to $300 per month for each child up to age five and $250 for those six and older. Carol Burnett is with the Mississippi Low Income Child Care Initiative. She shares how the change could help low-wage families with our Ashley Norwood. A couple of years ago, the National Academy of Sciences released a report on what programs are impactful that reduce child poverty, and the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit were among the most impactful in reducing child poverty because they result in bringing additional revenue into the family to help cover the cost of living. Uh, And that is hugely impactful for families where the parent is working but working in a a job that is a low-wage paying job. And that's the, those are the families that we see most often, single moms, they're working, but they're working in jobs that are at or near minimum wage. They have a really difficult time affording the basic needs for their family because of the low wages that they earn. Um, and the child care program that we work on is very helpful in reducing the high cost of child care. But this child tax credit, brings additional income in for the family to cover whatever the needs are that are most urgent. Do you believe this will uh, have long-term impact? 
I do believe that it will have uh, an incredible impact for the years that families receive this increased benefit. Um, I do think that as we see the impact that this has on the reduction of child poverty, we may see uh, a long-term investment in this as a strategy for reducing child poverty. Um, But uh, the more that we can do to address the needs of children early in life, the more we can improve those children's long-term benefits. The plan authorizes these payments through December 2021, I believe. Do you know what happens next after that? I don't. Yeah. Um, it may be that uh, the future past 2021 will be somewhat reliant on the American Families Plan, which is yet to be approved by Congress, because I know that these provisions are also included in the American Families Plan. Carol, is there anything I didn't ask you about this tax credit specifically uh, or just the overall issue that you think is important to add? Well, I do think it's in, it's uh, important to note that um, a parent does not have to be employed to receive this newly expanded child tax credit. Under the American Rescue Plan, the cash benefit is available to families who have no income at all, and that's a change from the current um, rule in the child tax credit. Um, because previously families had to make at least $2,500 to qualify and over 30000 to get the full benefit. So with this, especially in the time of COVID, when jobs have been in jeopardy and parental employment has been um, at risk because of coronavirus and parents have been employed, sometimes unemployed, sometimes reemployed, Um, employment status has really uh, been impacted during this coronavirus period. And so it's really helpful that this now is going to be available to families where the parent is both employed and where the family is, uh, the parent is not employed. Um, Do you know maybe roughly how many people, how many families might benefit from this? Um, Gosh, I would say most of the families in Mississippi, I mean, if you are single and earn less than $112,000 a year, or if you're married and your household income is less than $150,000, you qualify. And those income levels are very uh, rare for families in Mississippi. Uh, certainly the families that are served by the Child Care Assistance Program would all meet that income qualification. And we know that that is two-thirds of the families with young children in the state. So I would say that many families in Mississippi are going to benefit from this. When families are having to choose between um, paying rent or paying the car note, or having enough money to buy the groceries throughout the month um, when they're on the edge of financial stability, additional income is going to help bring them to a level of economic security. And um, it's a way of making sure that families have enough to cover their basic needs, whatever those might be.
Carol Burnett, Executive Director with the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Those child tax credit payments are scheduled to start July 15th and will continue on a monthly basis through December. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the Free Committee assesses the state, the Peer Committee rather, assesses the state park system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. What happens when you get a second opinion? Does the original doctor get mad? I I don't get mad about that. Now, I know some doctors do from time to time. Uh, You know, one thing, a lot of patients feel bad about uh, talking to their doctor about a second opinion. Most of the time, if you talk to your physician and say, hey, look, I I know you're smart. This is nothing against you. I would just feel better if I got a second opinion. That's an excellent way to frame that. And most of the time, they're going to be fine with that. But particularly if it's something like pulmonary fibrosis and there's a little bit of a question about that, Going to a physician that, particularly an expert, if that's all they do is look at pulmonary fibrosis, that may be who you need to see just to get a second opinion. That's another thing about going to see a specialist. If you see them early, you may can get in on some of the latest treatments that may give you the biggest bang for your buck. You know, there may be some things that your physician may not have access to that they might. So in a lot of instances, that may be a person that they were thinking about sending you to anyway. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. State parks in Mississippi need upgrades and strategic marketing to make them more attractive to visitors. That's some of the points raised in a report released by the Mississippi Legislative Peer Committee. Executive Director James Barber says they visited some parks in different areas of the state. And as he tells our Desiree Frazier, more must be done to make them competitive with parks in neighboring states. We took a look at the revenues and expenditures by park and saw that with the exception of really a handful of parks, all of the the park operations tend to lose money. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in the business to make money, but it does mean in comparison to the park operations in other states that our state parks don't generate nearly enough revenue to support their individual operations. Uh, And because of that, they're highly dependent on the legislature to provide 
an annual appropriation from the state general fund for them to, to literally keep their, their gates open each year. Are they getting that? They are. Uh, now, just like other agencies, due to uh, tight budget times, their funding has declined over the last couple of years, but the legislature has been very uh, faithful in, in providing money to the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks so that the parks could keep their gates open and and provide basic services for the folks who uh, choose to take advantage of the amenities there. As a part of this, were there visits to state parks? Yes, yes. We went to uh, a handful of parks. Uh, we selected parks in different areas of the state just to take a look at how they were operated, some larger parks, parks and some smaller parks. And uh, again, what we saw is they're, they're very resource dependent. Uh, the smaller parks, the, the staff had to wear so many different hats that it was really a challenge for those people to give the basic services that they needed to the, to the visitors to the parks. And in the larger parks, it was a little better because uh, they had more staff to cover the responsibilities that uh, that had to be carried out at those parks. But our staff did get some boots on the ground uh, experiences in, in the state parks. Did you find that there was a need for updating and uh, bringing more maintenance to them? Uh, I think it's probably one of the worst-kept secrets that the state park system needs some money for infrastructure. Uh, Some of the parks that have cabin rental opportunities need uh, some updating. Uh, There's a lot of maintenance needs that need to occur, and it's going to take an infusion of, of cash to make that happen. And I think the legislature is aware of that. There, uh, this past session, there were some um, bills introduced to try to divert more money to the park system, which I think is is a commitment that the legislature will carry out, hopefully in the next session. But um, yes, there is a need to update infrastructure. There is a need to provide some amenities. Uh, for example, some of the parks used to have food service operations that they no longer offer. And those are the type things that really appeal to visitors so that they can make a day of a visit to a state park instead of just a drive-through visit and things of that nature. In terms of talking about the staffing, the report mentions that 39% Um, are contract workers, and there's a high turnover. How would you like to see that changed? Uh, As with most state agencies, the the staffing needs to be stable and uh, dependable. And what we did not see was that uh, arrangement within the state parks. Um, It's really, I guess, easier to work with contract workers because they come and go fairly uh, quickly and freely, but then they don't learn the job when they come in, work for a while, and then leave. Now, obviously, some of the parks need seasonal workers, uh, but the real core group of employees needs to be 
state service employees that will be there day in and day not day in and day out. It also seems to be a concern about how management is using the dollars and the information that it has in taking care of the state parks. Is that correct? It, it is. Um, we we believe that there's a good bit of data and information that's available to the managers at the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks to be more targeted with their decision-making. Uh, for example, lots of the parks have RV uh, camping pads, and and some of them do have cabins to, to rent. And we think that all of that information needs to be analyzed so that they can then figure out which parks appeal to what type of visitor so that they can market to that. And we didn't see a whole lot of that strategic decision-making being taken place. If there is one issue that you want to spotlight, what would that be? I, I really, well, there's two. Uh, infrastructure obviously has to be addressed because people want to come to a place where they feel safe and where they have uh, a degree of creature creature comfort. And then I do think that the department is going to have to be more strategic with marketing the state park system, again, to appeal to people either within the state or outside the state to come in and visit our, our state parks. James Barber, Executive Director of the Mississippi Legislative Peer Committee, thank you so much for sharing what you've learned and what your team has learned about state parks in this peer committee report. You're certainly welcome. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.